Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Mr. Bike will be joining us in moments. Uh, well, you live streamers are lucky. You get some extra bonus awkward content. <laughs> I'm so jealous of you guys, huh? You guys just get to hear us <laughs> figure this crap out while we go oh through. Oh, my goodness. All right, so uh, Mr. Bike gave me a phone number to call. Boy, we've had great luck. I mean, as much I, as no one likes Facebook, we've had great luck with the I, Facebook you know, phone. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to just articulate about it's so funny facebook Rick runs the world but whenever we want to reach out with someone they're baffled by it wait a minute i can get the phone call on my phone but it's coming through facebook <laughs> and i'm on to how these uh, apple people work in the apple phone boy all these gadgets and all these cool apps and all these things you can do on your iphone but the actual phone sucks ass <laughs> Like you can barely hear people on the thing that you bought it for a phone and then though then and then they have these alternatives ben have you heard of zoom facebook works better for ugh, yeah. facebook so we, you're telling me we could actually do the facebook through the phone it doesn't have to go through the computer i don't know do i look like alexander graham bell dennis is gonna call you just... hey dave what's up buddy great all right. Well, you okay. sound you sound decent. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and get going with hour number two. I'm just gonna turn. I don't you... have any clothes on. Just oh my know. god! Man, there's a thought. So no, <laughs> so no video chat, Dave. I'm gonna turn you down here. We're gonna uh, get hour number two going. Okay. Okay. All right. Hang tight, buddy. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show. Hour number two for Tuesday, March 24th. It's just moments away. But before we get into that, we gotta thank the following unions again for jumping on board and sponsoring this awesome program unions like the international association of machinists and aerospace not aerosmith workers local 126 and district 8 the international brotherhood of electrical workers local nine are sponsors as well as the international union of operating engineers local 150 giant thank you to those unions <laughs> what's so funny I'm just thinking about the conversation I have with guests every day so Dennis is going to call you through Facebook wait a minute now is Facebook going to come through my computer i know you always make fun of myself that i am so tech unsavvy i'm starting to learn d i'm just part of the general popular and this is millennials too they're that pause that nervous pause where they contemplate the phone call coming from you wait a minute it's gonna come through my computer and how of, do i know and of course today's Venturowski <laughs> show is brought to you by our good friends at the chicago federation <laughs> of labor uh. hour number two let's do this <laughs> It is Tuesday, March 24th, and live from Ben's house, <laughs> this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, an apparent naked Mr. Bike <laughs> returns, and we welcome Dr. Howard Ehrman. And now your host. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarosky. And he's sitting here and he's not naked. All right. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love that riff. All right. Dennis will be calling you through Facebook. Wait a minute. It's going to come through my computer? 
I don't know. It's the phone's going to ring. Answer the phone. But if you have the app on your phone, it should just come through on your phone. No hold problem. On, hold on now. Ben, have you heard of Zoom? Stop pitching me other things, all right? <laughs> have you heard of Slack? I mean, everybody's got like a million different devices and things, and they're selling them. Hope you nope. guys are getting a piece of that Zoom pie, by the and way. And just to give everybody an update, I'm feeling fine. Uh, you know, feeling good. I've been, taking a, I've been eating a lot of garlic. Turns out that uh, boosts your immune system. So I've uh, been eating a lot of garlic taking uh, apple cider vinegar pills and riding my bike a lot. So I'm, I'm feeling just fine. Ben, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. Dennis uh, is not kidding when he says he's riding his bike a lot. Is, is uh, Mr. Bike on the phone? Can he hear us? Mr. Bike. Yeah, isn't the, I heard that the malaria remedy is really good for the coronavirus. Yeah. Isn't that what the president said? Yeah, that's what the – hey, if the president said it, it must be true. Uh, did you – have you got your mail today yet, Dave? No. Oh, well, when you get the mail, you'll probably have a postcard in it from President Trump. President Trump. Trump check? Trump check? Nope, the Trump check. See, there you go. That was, Maya was talking about that. My, that's be, They called it Obamacare, and the Republicans try to turn that into a negative because they realized that Obamacare, it, once people bought into it, got it, and, uh, and so, started getting some services from it, would work to the benefit of the Democrats. So the Republicans waged war against Obamacare. They're still waging war against it, Dave. So you're right. The Trump check, you call it a Trump check, the Democrats are going to have to figure out some messaging to deal with it. No, I uh, I got a postcard from the president, President Trump's Coronavirus Guidelines for America. And uh, the first item is, if you're old, die. No, just kidding. It doesn't say that. Um, all right, Dave, uh, yesterday. I, I, don't want a, I don't want a card. I want a check. Yeah, well, the check's in the mail. The check will be coming soon. They got to figure yeah. out when when they can send the check closest to the election as possible. Obviously, uh, I'm promoting the- a new meme. How's this? Trump changed. That's good. That's real good. Yeah, like that? yeah, yeah. get it. Right. Trump changed. Trump changed. You should work on the we'll Trump campaign. Got <laughs> uh, we'll see if it's got legs. Yeah, we'll see. By the way, uh, Dave Glatz for years uh, did a podcast with me at my uh, in my dining room and the train would go by and now here it is in the coronavirus era i'm doing a podcast from my house and the train just went by dave i don't know if you heard it it was probably felt like uh you know old times it's making me feel nostalgic yeah. all right now um so last night when i was talking first I, want, I want to commend you guys for soldiering out in this uh I mean, we kill a lot, but it's a challenging time for a lot of people. So Damn right, buddy. I, I know all your listeners appreciate you guys continuing to do the work that you do. Uh, thank you for saying that. That's really nice of you. Yeah, and a lot of, uh, in all seriousness, a lot of praise and accolades for Dr. D here. This guy is set up. You have no idea, folks, what he has to work with every day. Uh, and he has set up a mini studio here. So uh, a lot of credit, all the credit goes to him uh, in terms of the technical end of things. All right, so last night I was talking to you, Dave, and I said, I don't know, should we do the city council thing and the age of coronavirus? And then you convinced me, you know, a little entertainment, a little diversion could help us get through uh, the madness of our times. Uh, So uh, that's sort of the setup uh, for your analysis of what went down at the city council meeting. Just uh, when was the city council meeting again? There was supposed to be a full city council meeting on March 15th, but that was postponed till April 15th because of the pandemic. But the meeting that preceded was on March 12th as a meeting of the council's committee on finance, which I attended. And uh, unfortunately, it did have entertainment. It wasn't. I don't think it was planned that way, but that's what, that's what happened. 
And uh, just to remind your listeners, if they didn't know, I report on local government at uh, chigov.com, chigov.com. It's inside Chicago government, and uh, that's my beat. Uh, yes, it is. And usually when Dave comes in the studio, this is what I was getting at. He always he gives me a little piece of paper. It looks like uh, the fortune in a fortune cookie, and it has that identification, and I read it. But, of course, uh, I, I'm in my attic overlooking the uh, train, and he's in his bunker naked. So I do not have I do not have, uh, <laughs> do not have so a I, piece, I, piece of paper. I made you dependent on the script there, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I love a script. Uh, so, all right, let's take us through uh, what went down on March 12th. Uh, our city council in action. You know, we make fun of them all the time, but I miss them at this moment, okay? Dave, I uh, miss my beloved Chicago City Council. Uh, well, I don't think anyone should be worried that the, the, that our public servants at the city of Chicago aren't working, even though our listeners either can't go to work or are, are somehow unable to work, that the city of Chicago public servants are spending our listeners' tax dollars even as we speak. And uh, in particular, the city is moving along a number of uh, city-funded and taxpayer-subsidized real estate developments, which is something that they have a long history of doing. And I'm going to talk about several of those projects that look like the city council was going to pass at the postponed March 15th meeting, which, as I said, is now, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, postponed uh, to April 15th. Mm-hmm. But the week before, which was March 12th, a meeting, a meeting of the council's committee on finance showed that some aldermen were surprised by some of the things that the Lightfoot administration is looking to fund. And I've been thinking about the legislative dynamic that the pandemic has affected. So here's the thing. Originally, in this particular legislative cycle, only six days passed or supposed to pass between the finance committee meeting and the full council meeting. Mm-hmm. So an alderman wanted to say, Asked some serious questions of the administration staff after learning about something at a committee meeting, they could do that. You could take time to absorb the answers and follow up. They they didn't have time to do all that in six, let's say six days. But now there's almost a month that's <laughs> going to pass between that finance committee. So maybe some I don't know statecraft will develop. It's an interesting thing to contemplate. Not too sure if it'll happen. Yeah. Uh, and so, in other words, they have plenty of time to contemplate the le- legislation. Unlike, let's say, the parking meter deal from 2009 or eight, whenever that was. Remember, they had like what was it, three days from start to finish? Uh, yeah, which is you know that's that's pretty typical of you know the way stuff gets passed. I think some some of the major thing gets passed in the city council. So, uh, do you have any excerpts to play for us? Yes, uh, Dennis, we're going to do Lopez first. Um, first up, we're going to talk about a fairly large multi-building development that's taking place in several wards on the south side, and it's called Casa Veracruz, and one of its main features is a whole bunch of affordable housing. And at this project, the administration proposed essentially a $15 million loan to the developer, and that's what it's looking for the council to approve. But in the finance committee meeting, it looked like it was going to hit a speed bump with the alderman of one of the affected wards, namely Ray Lopez of the 15th. And we're going to hear Lopez questioning a city staffer and a developer rep about the project. Let's listen. 
Wonderful setup. My name is Barbara J. Taylor, and I am a project manager with the Department of Housing. This morning, I am presenting the Casa Vera Cruz development. It is the preservation and rehabilitation of 155 existing affordable units. The development is comprised of 14 different buildings, which make up five different developments. The development is located in three different communities, Pilsen, Little Village, and Back of the Yards, and it spans across four different wards, the 25th, 24th, 22nd, and 15th ward. Thank Alderman you. Lopez. When this was discussed, was this brought to the local alderman's attention that you were pursuing this type of arrangement? Yes. All of them? Yes. Really? Because I wasn't included in that conversation, and one of your main buildings is in the middle of my back of the yards community. Why does your statement not accurately reflect what happened with regards to gaining support and discussing with local aldermen this matter? Aldermen, there are four aldermen involved within our development. We reached out for support, which is a requirement of the tax credit application submitted to the city. I'm one of the four. Yes. You did not reach out to me. Do not sit here and tell me you reached out to all four aldermen when I know, damn well being one of them, you didn't ask me. Uh, Lopez, Raymond, correct? We have- Alderman a, Raymond Lopez, yes, yes ma'am. Yes, sir. We have a letter in the application with your signature on it from your office. You was that you from- You did not support it, but they did present that with their that, application. Was that with regards to this matter? In regards to Casa Vera Cruz, and it's in the application, yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Alderman. Uh, Perhaps you didn't hear at the end, but he was going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you may not. I was laughing so hard. He thought he had him. Oh my God! I missed the city council. I just missed the city council. So that was priceless. Lady. That was a moment, like a cross examination moment. Ray Lopez, and God bless you, Ray Lopez. You're trying to hold them their feet to the fire for whatever reason. I, I, I don't know the specifics of this issue, but you're, you know, you're going to be a voice of opposition. So you got him on the on the ropes, right, Dave? It's like, uh, are you aware that you're supposed to reach out to all the aldermen? Yes, I am aware. Have you reached out to all the aldermen? Yes, we, I, we did. Well, you didn't reach out to me. And then the, the, the lady's like, Lopez Ray? Well, yeah, she gets the name. Yeah, well, here's the letter we sent. Habada, <laughs> habada. In, in Alderman uh, Lopez's defense, I have to point out that he might not yet have gotten used to uh, Mayor Lori, Lori Lightfoot's executive order from last year, and that order forces city departments to, quote, cease each and every such practice, unquote, of deferring to an alderman's thumbs up or thumbs down on a project when it wasn't, you know, that approval wasn't mandated by municipal law. But a lot of departments, including especially Department of Planning was typically deferring. You know, this is a so-called aldermanic prerogative yeah. that you like to rail against. Oh, yes. But it, the, the aldermen were getting deferred to uh, as a matter of practice. And Lopez might have been, you know, still remembering that and expecting that, but that's not happening anymore. Well, well, first, okay. I love it when we uh, bend over backwards to defend Alderman. Uh, first of all, 
just hearing the words automated prerogative brings back such great memories. And I wish we were back in normalcy, Dave, where I could go on to one of my f- favorite rants and rail <laughs> ravings about what, automated what's prerogative. You? Nothing. I mean, why not? <laughs> I mean, the world as we know it is coming to end. We have a freaking lunatic in charge of our country at this most critical crisis uh, of our lifetime. Dave and I are roughly the same age. Nothing like it remotely resembles anything we've been through. And we have this raving lunatic running the country. And we have, I don't know what to call Joe Biden. Uh, missing. I, missing. That's good enough. Supposedly, the Democrat, here's a good idea. We're the mainstream of the Democratic Party. Let's elect a guy who will go disappear and vanish as soon as a crisis happens. That's a good idea. That's electability. Anyway, so to divert me from that sad spectacle, I embrace automatic prerogative. Automatic prerogative, of course, is a fictitious notion invented by uh, Lori Lightfoot with the assistance of some misguided lefties in the city of Chicago who thought they were doing a good deal for everybody when, in fact, they weren't. Uh, It's supposed to be a very serious problem that the city faces in that aldermen are given too much power when, as we just saw, aldermen (laughs) have very little power at all. Anyway, how about that? uh, He did did support the project, but he did send the letter, which apparently he evidently didn't remember. Yeah. Um, so I've got some more stuff here. Uh, give me a sense of how much more time I have. Uh, I would say you have 10 minutes before we bring on Dr. Howard Ehrman. Is that correct? All right. Well, I'm, yes. I'm going to skip right to um, probably the meatiest um, one that uh, happened. Dennis, we're going to do audio one first. Uh, perhaps listeners have heard Mayor Lightfoot talk about a plan of hers to use taxpayer dollars to what the administration says, quote, attract private capital, unquote, that would jumpstart commercial development on the south and west side. I don't know. Have you guys talked about this project? Yes, we've talked about this. Again, this is uh, bringing back fond memories. <clears throat> Jeanette Taylor, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, and we've had conversations about this. When the world was more or less normal, Dave. <laughs> More or less. And the project is called Invest Southwest. Yes. And until recently, pretty much all we knew is that, one, the planning department is leading the project. Mm -hmm. And two, uh, we knew which specific south and west side neighborhoods the city wants to focus on. Well, at the March 12th Finance Committee meeting, the administration revealed that it wants to pay a contractor, which it's already picked, to do marketing for a dozen what they call priority corridors. And the administration revealed that it wants to pay that contractor as a source of funding using 18 TIF districts. Are you with me so far? Yeah, I'm following you, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you want to give the quick definition of TIF for the uninitiated? Well, I don't know if there's any uninitiated to listen to this show. (laughs) Uh, But, oh my God, just... You know what? I just want to say, just hearing the word TIF... Is just making, just making me feel so good. I was so <laughs> upset. Again, we have a country being led by a lunatic, uh, and the opposition it brings you back to a feeling of normal tax increment financing in the face of this pandemic. Yes, a property a TIF is a, a property tax surcharge that they slap on the bills of unwitting taxpayers who are as clueless as ever, and then they siphon that money into bank accounts largely controlled by the mayor, which the mayor is free to spend however he or she wants. That's the TIF program. Yes, uh, Dave, go on. I love it. Great, great definition. 
So going back to invest Southwest where the city's trying to jumpstart development on the Southwest side, what they've done is, as I said, that they have identified a dozen priority corridors that are going to focus um, attraction of capital. And like I said, they're going to hire this contractor to do marketing of each of the 12 corridors. And this is even before they've done any development. So that's interesting in and by itself, but we're not going to go there. But anyway, in the finance committee meeting, one of the corridors that drew heat is what they're called this is what they're calling the 79th Street Priority Corridor. Because guess what? It runs along 79th Street, <laughs> and it's mostly in terms of uh, the city council. It's mostly in the seventh and eighth wards, which is just um, west of the lakefront. But the west end of the corridor touches the fifth ward, whose alderman is then fifth ward Leslie Hairston. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so let's, uh, listen, let's listen to audio from the finance committee meeting where a law department staffer sets this up for us. Let's listen. I could do a good Bill Clinton. I love San Francisco. I love you all very much. You got some wine. <laughs> Oops. Uh, sorry. That, that guy gets around, doesn't he? That guy was good. <laughs> there must be a bug in my, uh, in my equipment. So, Dennis, we're going to do hair slip next, actually. Sorry about that. So let's, yeah, let's listen to that guy from the law department. Oh, I'm sorry, Dennis. Uh, let's do lawyer, not not Harrison. Lawyer, technical not a, difference. Not a problem. That was funny though. He did a good Bill he Clinton. He did a good Clinton, man. That, was, that like, was almost as good as yours, Ben. Yeah. Let's hear yours. Well, he, you know, he worked for him for seven years. You know? I love Dave Glowass. I listen to Mr. Bike all the time when I'm riding my bike. <laughs> okay, well maybe that guy's was better. <laughs> hey, mine's as good as that guy's. God dang, man! Throw me under a bus. You said it was lawyer, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. My name is uh, Keith May. I'm an assistant corporation counsel in the law department. There was a draft of this ordinance that was available earlier. There is an error in that ordinance I wanted to point out regarding the 79th Street Stony Island Exchange Priority Corridor. The initial draft only indicated that funding would come from the 71st Stony Island Redevelopment Project area. It actually will also include funding from Avalon Park South Shore. So there will be two redevelopment project areas those funds will be proportioned and method determined by the commissioner of DPD or an authorized representative in proportion to the amount of the geographic area that carries over the two TIF areas. And Dennis, we're going to do Harrison next. So just to decode this a little bit, it's getting into a little bit of the weeds. What this guy from the law department is saying that there was uh, an initial version of the ordinance that the committee was looking at that showed only a particular TIF district called the 71st Stony Island, which fund this marketing effort on 79th Street. And the law department guy corrected that and said the marketing of that corridor would be funded by an additional TIF district, namely Avalon Park South Shore. Mm-hmm. And that's in a different ward than the, than the 79th Street corridor, or I'm sorry, the 71st Stony Island TIF district, which is mostly in the 5th ward. Well, this set off <laughs> Alderman Hairston. So let's, let's listen. The 79th Street corridor is not in the 5th Ward. There might be a corner that I have that is part of it, which is part of the Stony Island TIF. Yet the city over the past years has gone to my Stony Island TIF to take money to build projects in other wards. Um, So I have been unable for the past 15 years to access the full amount of my TIF dollars because DPD has seen fit to use them in other wards. The 71st and Stony Island TIF has been 
are really good to my surrounding wards, but I have projects in my ward that I want to have funded, which the Department of Planning and Development is aware of, and they want to tell me no, that I can't fund it in my ward, but yet it's good to fund projects in other wards, which is totally and completely unacceptable. While a portion of the 71st and Stony Island TIF touches that, I'm sure it is no more than 5%, if not 1%. So the fact that you added the language in there that says areas in a proportion to be determined by an authorized officer is gobbledygook. If you do it in a proportion, we don't know what proportion, which gives you the ability to make the decision and takes the ability away from me, right? It allows you to make a decision about something that my tax dollars are going for and use them in another ward. Do not insult my intelligence. Either the language goes in there in the percentage that is in the TIF, or this should be stricken. And you're going to change language to something that you think I can't read? I am totally and completely insulted. How much is in the Avalon Park TIF? DPD t determines the... I need to know how much is in I that Avalon need, Park I'll TIF. to defer to DPD. Well, then defer to DPD. <laughs> we can get that to y'all. No, I need that now. Ooh. I need that now. You knew this was coming up down here. You should have brought it with you. It is no longer acceptable for you all to appear before this body with a nonchalant attitude as if it's just going to happen, and then you get to sit there and say, we'll get it to you later. And how many things that have come before this body, and you said you'll get it to us later, and we've never got it. It is unacceptable. So somebody better get me some answers right now. But you are not going to take money out of my ward to build things in other wards. You are just not going to do that when I have projects that my people want to see built. That is not going to happen. So apparently, um, the, the proposed ordinance says that marketing of the 79th Street Quarter would be funded, quote, proportionally, unquote, from two TIF districts, one of which is in her ward. That's the one she's railing about. And so what happened is that Hairston demanded and got, during a committee recess, a real-time real revision by the law department to the proposed ordinance, which spelled out that only 5% of the funding for the marketing of this quarter would come from the TIF district that's in her ward. Mm -hmm. So there was this, all, you know, this uh, drama where the meeting was stopped and they <laughs> went in the back room. It was literally a back room deal. Yeah. Uh, I have so much to say on this clip, by the way. And by the way, I thought you would. I, I, I just want to say, I think everything we didn't use in this uh, today, let's bring you back next week. This is. I find this so reassuring to talk about <laughs> city business. I've spent 30 years of my life studying the way the city works, and now I'm in the midst of this horrific crisis, and uh, we have Dr. It's a welcome break. And it's just such a welcome break, and it's just, it's like listening to how business gets run in my beloved city of Chicago is reassuring. Let me just say this. I know I could go, I could give an hour dissertation on this excerpt that you just played, uh, Dave, because it says so much about the TIF program. I just want to start by praising Leslie Harrison, Alder Woman of the Fifth Ward. She's one of the she Alder. Call herself Alderman. Uh, Alder Woman. I, she, she no, she does call herself Alderman. She calls herself Alderman. I guess I should bow to her wishes on that. I'm trying to bow Sue Garza's wishes to say uh, Alder Woman in the case of all women. But uh, anyway, a uh, I, I'll just say this. She really knows TIFFs. I've read, she's actually written a, a law review article on TIFFs. And so I know that Leslie Hairston is one of the few aldermen in the city council who understands how the TIF program works. 
but I have to just politely disagree with her on one point. Money in the TIF slush funds are not money. It's not her money. It's not in the case of second ward alderman Brian Hopkins when he did Lincoln Yard. It's his money. It's property tax dollars that all of us pay. No matter where the TIF district is, all of us pay more in property taxes so that money gets put into these slush funds. So she's getting the, the fifth ward's getting the raw end of the deal because they don't have as much TIF money as downtown. Brian Hopkins gets much more TIF money than Leslie Harrison. So to view the TIF program as her TIF program because it's on 79th Street and his TIF program because it's at North and Clybourne or North and Elston works against the South Side and the West Side. That's just one of the many scams in this program. This notion that individual TIF districts belong to individual aldermen or alderwomen or communities works to the disadvantage of the very people who are supposed to benefit the most from the TIF program. And well, I'll, I'll give you the flip side of that coin and I'll end with this. Is, is that perhaps the attitude or the perspective that Alderman Harrison has around this ownership is uh, something that's, that's promulgated by the Daily Administration, Richard and Daily Administration, absolutely, and, and the, um, the Emanuel Administration yes. to compel aldermen to accept tax increment financing as a concept because. If they felt that it was it was like a slush fund that benefited them, that they had ownership, then the administrations could continue to to advance tax Absolutely, and when people buy into that, you're buying into the notion, South Side of Chicago, that it's okay to have a smaller TIF slush fund for the South Side communities like Alderman Hairston's than the one that Brian Hopkins has on the North Side. Folks, it's a scam. And just talking about it, Dave, it's making me feel good. Make it just make me feel reassured. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. We're going to bring on Dr. Howard Ehrman to make me feel real bad about the coronavirus epidemic. But let's bring you back next week, Dave. I really enjoy uh, talking about, I think you have two more clips that we didn't get to, so we can get to yeah, that. Yeah, I do. All right, very good. That's Dave Goetz. We're going to take a break and bring on Dr. Howard Ehrman right after this. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. All right, everybody, hang tight. I'm going to figure out what the hell Zoom is. We'll be right back. Dr. Howard? That's Dr. Howard. All right. God damn. Okay, quit cursing. Welcome uh, back to the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show, live from Ben's house. Yeah. Yes, we're live from Ben's house. Dr. Howard Ehrman uh, on the phone. Uh, some kind of Zoom thing he's got, D. He's really high tech, man. Uh, we're on Zoom with Dr. Howard Ehrman. He's the assistant professor retired at University of Illinois College of Medicine, Chicago Cuba Coalition. Should I read this whole thing, doctor? Whatever you want to do. I love this part. This is this is something uh, that Howard sent to me today, and it's this gives you a sense of his politics, his worldview, his life's history, his life's work. The last time you were on the show, uh, Howard, I talked about how I met you 20 or how many, 30, 25 years ago. Uh, you were fighting for people um, in Little Village. 
Uh, Dr. Howard Ehrman's been at this game for a while. From 1969 to 1972, along with others, Howard Ehrman was a Chicago and Midwest organizer of the first th three Vencemeros brigades, along with Ronald Doc Satchel, Minister of Health of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Dr. Ehrman was the co-coordinator of the Chicago Rainbow Coalition, nine health clinics and community outreach network. That's pretty good stuff, man. You've been at this for a long time, Howard. Uh, in 1994, he co-founded the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, and that's when I met him. 1994, uh, Dr. Ehrman was the Chicago Health Department Assistant Commissioner from 85 to 91, in charge of emergency preparedness, and the Will County, Illinois Chief Medical Officer from 2013 to 2016 during the entire Ebola epidemic. And uh, the last time we were on the show, Howard, we talked about uh, the inadequate preparation that our country has made uh, to deal with this uh, coronavirus, not just on the national level, but the local level. You outlined all the public health cuts that various mayors in Chicago have sanctioned, right? You pointed out that it was the damage had been done not just by Republicans. I have that instinct, Howard, to blame Republicans. You correctly immediately pointed out that some uh, Democrats, that, uh, including people I had voted for, had also um, uh, made dangerous cuts to our uh, public health system. So that's an interview I urge everybody uh, to go check out after we're done listening to this one. What's I have a lot I want to ask you about, about where our country seems to be heading now, at least yesterday, Donald Trump suggesting things, Thomas Friedman of the New York Times suggesting that we back off a little bit on so, uh, isolation. So I'd love to get your response to all that. But what's your just sort of state of the the virus right now? How do you, what do you, do you think we've taken proper steps in the last week uh, to Min minimize the damage or are we in some ways worse off than we were when you were on the show last week? Well, I think both are true. Um, basically, I, I think that the different levels of government have taken some positive steps of basically telling people to stay in place, uh, telling people and explaining a little bit about social distancing, but we've also taken many steps backwards. And before I go into the details, I'd really like to invite people uh, to join us in this new formation um, that is quickly evolving that right now is called the COVID-19 National People's Response. Um, there are thousands of individuals and organizations around this country who have gotten together to do mutual aid and assistance. Um, this is trying to pull together um, all those organizations and people. Uh, we basically have had uh, two meetings of over 100 people each virtually, and our next meeting is this coming Sunday, March 29th at 7.30 p.m. Uh, there's an email I think you're going to put up um, on your website there that we're watching, and it's called peoplescovid19response at gmail.com. So I hope that uh, people will join us. Our website will be going live later this week. Uh, but to answer your question, I think the first thing we need to talk about is a lot of uh, misinformation or disinformation or lack of information about what exactly we should be doing um, at work uh, if we are still working, which, of course, we know that the people who are most vulnerable are still working. Um, lots of us who have nice computers at home and Internet connections and have jobs where we can work at home, um, like you are doing now and like where I'm sitting, that's wonderful, and that's a positive thing in terms of social distancing. However, those people who have to get on the bus every day, get on the train or drive to work, 
um, who can't be six feet apart. Um, I think that's the first group of people um, that we really need to talk to and to work with. Uh, I'm an old union organizer uh, for AFSCME, uh, for the House Staff Association at Cook County Hospital and other places. And so I just want to go over that. Uh, a word that people have heard a lot is called personal protective equipment, or PPE for short. And PPE is always talked about in relation to health workers, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But we, all workers, need PPE. Uh, I've had the privilege and honor of the last couple of weeks of working with the Amalgamated Transit Workers Union who represent 200,000 uh, bus drivers, rail operators, um, and other people who work in public transit all over the United States and Canada. Uh, I've worked with people at the local level, and we work with people at the international level uh, to really put together a set of reasonable demands uh, to protect bus drivers, to protect not just bus drivers, and I think this is a really important thing, is that everybody who's working with the public, we have to protect each other. So the bus driver has to protect the people getting on the bus, who more cities are moving towards everyone getting on the back and also forgiving fares, which, of course, we should have free transit in the first place. Um, and then the people who are getting on the bus, getting on the train, um, who are lining up to go in the stores, have to protect each other and their workers um, on those buses, trains, and stores. So personal protective equipment does not just refer to nurses and doctors who work in hospitals, although in some ways they're at the highest risk. And so what we talk about is first having access for workers to wash their hands in soap and water. Um, you can use, and this is a true for everyone, uh, you can use gel, but you should only use gel, sanitary gel, if you do not have access to soap and water. We have many good studies in the last five years from all over the world that sanitizing gel, particularly if your hands literally have dirt on them, do not work as well. Um, certain workers should be wearing disposable gloves um, and basically changing those gloves regularly, which means it's up to the employer to give them the gloves. Um, I'll give you an example. At Costco the other day, we were shopping, um, and Costco has people lined up outside, which is good in one sense, and has people going in as other people come out. Um, they had two workers who were basically wiping down the grab bars of carts, and neither one of them was wearing disposable gloves. So those workers were at risk. Uh, what can we do inside our house and at work? Um, one thing we know that works better than almost anything is to laugh. Laugh immediately improves our resistance, our immune system. This idea that you shouldn't go outside, um, if you can go outside or you can look through the window at evergreens, uh, we have three different hormones in our brain that go up uh, that make us feel better both physically and psychologically. However, um, and we encourage everybody to go outside who can go outside, but if you do go outside, make sure you stay six feet away. Uh, from anybody you don't, you know, live with. Uh, we don't recommend that people, you know, listen or watch the news almost at all, particularly the network news. Um, it's getting people more and more anxious. It's getting people more and more depressed. Instead of that, uh, sing, dance, play board games, play cards, um, talk to family members, friends, coworkers, fellow students over the phone. Uh, eat your fruits and veggies more than ever if you have access to them. Uh, drink water, take vitamin D. Uh, certainly sleep. That's the second most important thing, almost, or the most important thing, rather, in terms of your immune system. Relax, do yoga if you can, meditate, uh, and be careful more than ever of what's on the Internet. Uh, most of the information on the Internet before coronavirus, this COVID-19 infection, uh, was false, and more than ever is that. Uh, and then last but not least, before I sort of really get into the guts of your question, is um, an acronym called CAP. 
um, that's not the same cap program the Chicago police never did. Um, <laughs> it's based check, check on your neighbors um, through call, text, or literally open your window and yell. Uh, access needs and assist when possible. Protect self and neighbors by adhering to social distancing policies. Um, <clears throat> so there's lots of good uh, resource directories that have been put together uh, in Chicago and nationally. Um, I would encourage people to look for these. All of these will be on our website. Um, there are groups um, like Nivita Unite, um, the group that is doing mutual aid and solidarity that have these. So they have a Facebook page, and I would encourage people to do that. So let's talk about now about your original question. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a set of demands that, first of all, uh, says that there's a new bill that's been introduced to the Congress called H.R. 6139. Uh, by Representative Bobby Scott, a Democrat from Virginia, and Senator Tammy Duckworth, of course, who's one of our two senators here in Illinois. And this bill was done in conjunction uh, with the most important union out there nationally, which is the National Nurses United, 150,000 nurses who led the way during the Ebola um, outbreak and are certainly leading the way now. And what they call for is to use the recommended maximum amount of PPE um, among all hospital workers and to appropriately give that to patients who are coming to emergency rooms. What's happening at this very moment then is that we have thousands, not hundreds, we have thousands of workers in healthcare, particularly in hospitals, who are infected at this moment with COVID-19. And a lot of them can't even get tested in their own hospital. Uh, Not to divert, but I want to tell you a true story from last week. Um, A young physician who worked for Columbia University, one of the most supposedly prestigious institutions in the United States, uh, could not get tested. uh, And he had to go to another hospital, and he was positive. Um, His partner, who had exactly the same symptoms, tested negative, who's also a doctor. And basically, the no hospital in New York, no part of the Health and Hospitals Governing Commission would retest them in one to two days, which has been the recommendation from the beginning because people's what's called viral load can increase and they can turn from being negative to positive. This is just five days ago in New York City. So New York City, as we know, um, has the greatest number of cases increasing in terms of the rate now in the world. Um, And this is not just a situation in New York. Nurses, doctors, health workers, clerks, uh, phlebotomists are all getting sick. Um, and we're going to see the same thing that happened in Italy, where basically nurses and doctors um, literally are, some of them drop dead, and a lot of them are just falling down the floor from exhaustion. So what's the answer to this? It turns out, um, I think probably some people know this, but not most, that those white men, most of whom were slave owners, that got together and wrote the Constitution, as we know, gave most of the power to the states in order to save and enlarge slavery, which was the basis of the economy and capitalism. And so one of those powers that I think people have not realized is the U.S. Center for Disease Control, or the Department of Health and Human Services, has almost no authority over the state of Illinois, the county of Cook, the city of Chicago, or any other state and city. The only authority that they legally have is to declare a quarantine in conjunction with the President of the United States and then to begin to enforce it, which could mean calling out the the Army, not just the National Guard, which is, of course, under the governors. 
uh, this is really important to now use in a positive way. Um, when I was assistant commissioner of health, um, you know, we learned about the history of what are called these emergency powers. Um, and I don't know the, the code right now, the legal code, but we do know that the governor, the mayor of Chicago in our case, all other big city mayors and all their big city and county departments have the legal authority right now to do the following things. Uh, number one is to immediately deputize um, all health science students from all the sectors of health science, medical students, nursing students, public health students, pharmacy students, allied health. Um, these then would be working um, under the health department of a city, a county, or a state all over this country. We have hundreds of thousands of those students. And again, like I mentioned earlier, this is what England, France, and Italy, and Spain are doing right now. Okay, This is what China did. This is what South Korea did. Um, and this authority exists at this moment. It was a positive thing that Governor Pritzker two days ago invited all of us who retired to come out of retirement, even if we didn't have a license. I still have my license, but I'm sure there's people who don't have a license, and go to work. Well, there's a problem with that. Um, another part of this has to be that the way we should go to work, particularly people over 65, is not to go to the front lines of a hospital emergency room to take care of patients, more and more of whom will have COVID-19, but to basically develop a massive phone triage system. Um, and the people who are younger, who, as you know, are less likely to die from this disease, um, basically should work under the care, under the supervision, with protocols, with algorithms, with guidelines and certification to do certain tasks right now inside hospitals and ERs so those people who are veteran health workers can get rest, can go home, um, whether they're sick or not. And again, I want to emphasize that even in Chicago and even in New York City right now, not all health workers can get tested even if they have symptoms. Okay. So what would these people do? The one, beside work in, in clinics, emergency rooms, hospitals to relieve the overburdened sick health workers or before they get sick. It's great to talk to people about maintaining six feet. Um, so the U.S. government through the CDC says we should be six feet apart, um, and that's good. Uh, the World Health Organization says one meter, which is a little more than three feet. I believe in the precautionary principle, so I think we should go for six feet. So anyone today or in the last week since this has been in enforced in now about 10 states um, in terms of closing down everything but essential uh, facilities that includes food stores, um, gas stations, banks, pharmacies, and a few other places. Um, we, we've all probably gone to the store once. And the problem is that every store is different, even within the same company. And it's honestly uh, not the job of the store, although they voluntarily should do it, to enforce this six-foot physical distancing. Because honestly, this is all we got left at this point. There's no medicine, okay, despite what you read about the new medicine of the day, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, uh, interferon alpha-2b, which the Cubans um, and the Chinese are using in combination with other medicines, and it may work. There is not one peer-reviewed study anywhere in the world that says that any particular medicine or combination of medicine works. There will not be a vaccine for at least a year, and we'll be lucky if it's a year from now, despite what you hear the president saying, you know, every other day. Hmm. So what we have left right now is this 
physical distancing, this social distancing, this voluntary social isolation. So literally what has to happen is that these deputized health workers have to be there with the authority of the city, the county, or the state um, to basically, in a positive way, explain to people and make sure that people stay six feet apart. Because 90% of the time, that's not what's happening at this very moment. And people are unconsciously infecting each other because for the first day or two, um, this disease, like almost every other virus, so coronavirus, for those people who may not know, uh, the cold, common cold, is a coronavirus. Uh, SARS was a coronavirus. Uh, MERS, which still exists in the Middle East, is a coronavirus. And they all act in a very similar way of the first day or two not having any symptoms. Then a lot of people just getting very mild symptoms. You can't tell if you got a cold. And in fact, in a lot of cases, you can't tell if you have a cold in the flu. So people are lined up at the store, lined up at the cash register, holding on to the gas pump. So somebody comes and you know, uses the gas pump. The next person pulls up, they use the gas pump. So people are unconsciously infecting each other. Um, so that's one thing that has to happen. Um, on a larger scale, what has to happen is that this idea of testing, which honestly at this point we can't do at this moment because we have to worry about these other things, the, the two or three most primary things being that people have to stay in their house unless they go out for a walk. And if they do that, they have to six feet apart. Then they should only go to the store or out if they have to. Don't go out one day and then, you know, go out the next day because you forgot something. Make a list <laughs> yeah. and go out all at once every week or two, you know, and do what you can and organize at work because the other place to understand is that every workplace is at risk, not just hospitals um, and not just um, clinics and other places like that. All right. Now, Howard, you lay this out. It makes perfect sense. Social isolation six feet apart when you're outside uh do not get in large groups of people you know, follow certain protocols and procedures to limit the spread of the virus you're saying that on my podcast you're saying that in your own podcasts and then well, flip it around we have the president of the united states and thomas friedman a columnist for the new york times and the deputy governor of the state of Texas saying it's perhaps more important for our economy to think about getting people just getting back to work within two weeks. So everything you're saying you're outlaying is being contradicted by people in power. I feel that they're endangering lives when they talk this way. Do you agree with me? Oh, absolutely. So I think we all have an understanding, and most of your listeners, that out of the seven and a half billion people on earth, that as far as all of them are concerned, as far as the capitalists and imperialists that control most every place on earth, that most people are disposable, literally disposable. We saw that in 1995 uh, when 732 people died here in Chicago in four days in the most deadly heat wave over that period in the history of the United States. So right now we have a situation where we have now 410,000 cases in the world, 50,000 in the U.S., 18,500 deaths, 620 in the U.S. New York has 26,000 cases and 210 deaths. 
And in the New York Times, I would invite all of your readers to just go to the New York Times. Uh, you can get all this stuff free. You do not have to have a subscription uh, because all those big newspapers um, have basically allowed people now to have free access to the coronavirus articles. You will see that at this very moment that the curve of number of infections in the United States, France, Spain, um, are steeper than they ever were in China. Steeper. Okay. So this idea of flattening the curve is complete nonsense at this point. Um, the idea that tens of thousands of people were pushed together like sardines um, a week ago uh, Sunday um, in 13 international airports means that just by that one act, Ben, tens of thousands of people over the next two weeks will be infected. Tens of thousands of people because of the way the federal government handled that. So we, this curve is going to get steeper before it even starts flattening down. And all they're concerned about is saving capitalism. Okay, we know that in 1950, the U.S. government passed what's called the Korean War Production Act, which is still in effect. This is not the question of just producing. It's the question of production, distribution, and price. And anybody that's watched Trump in the last week, since he said, oh, yeah, we should probably do that, which, of course, he won't do um, unless we force him to do it. Um, why, you know, what it means is that he could go to GM and anybody place out, uh, 3M, sorry, and he could say, we need to produce like 500 million N95 masks, you know, in the next week. And you have to do that. And I'm going to control, the federal government's going to control where they go. We've all heard Governor Cuomo, Governor Pritzker, uh, some of these governors who are willing to speak in public, they are telling the truth when they say they're all competing against each other to try to find N95 masks, to try to find gloves and other personal protection equipment. So as far as they're concerned, the only thing that counts is to push people to go back to work. And we have to be ready um, that all these things that, of course, they can't get the bill passed in Congress unless they pass it in the last couple hours – um, you know, they can't get it passed or signed, that whatever's in that bill, they could very well say, even if the curve is still going up, uh, too bad, we, everybody's got to go back to work. Okay, and, and we have to be prepared for that. We have to start organizing for that um, because they could very well do it. Um, I just want to quote um, Professor Mark Lipsitz, who's basically a professor of epidemiology and director of the Center for Communicable Disease um, at the Harvard School of Public Health. In yesterday's Washington Post, he said, we aren't testing enough to control the outbreak. The real count could be 10 times higher. Social distance, isolation, then more testing. Um, so that's what we have to do. Um, the government has made it extremely difficult for do, doing that. The state and local governments are too little, too late. Okay. If Pritzker, he knows that he has the authority to do everything I've talked about, our governor, so does Cuomo. Okay. And basically, either uh, they're not thinking right about all these health science students, or they're getting the wrong advice from the director of their public health departments. Um, and they don't really understand what's going on. I think it's good that Pritzker criticizes the president for not having enough N95 masks. But in terms of people going back to work, um, all that's going to do, of course, is to accelerate the spread. Uh, and that's what's happening in most places that are still open. People you know, aren't used to this idea of social distancing. 
it's not like, uh, yeah, you, you know, basically walk into someplace, you're used to walking up to people. That's built into our genes for 350,000 years, <laughs> not to stay six feet away. Now, uh, Howard, the last time you were on the show, you detailed uh, what South Korea has done to, uh, to attack the, the, the epidemic. I'd like, if you could, to talk about what Italy did or didn't do that resulted in the catastrophe that exists there. Because I have a sense that we're closer in the United States to what Italy did than to what South Korea did. Uh, you're absolutely correct, uh, Brother Ben. So um, every country, every president, every prime minister in the entire world, with the exception of Cuba, has basically denied, covered up, um, at least the beginning of this pandemic. Um, that includes People's Republic of China, that includes South Korea, and that's what happened in Italy. Um, there's plenty of stuff written about Italy, which would, uh, I would invite people to read uh, in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, in the Guardian in particular, and other sources besides those big uh, national newspapers. And what happened is, um, it's the same thing that's going on in Brazil now, you know, and uh, to, in Mexico and other places. Uh, the, the president uh, or the prime minister is basically covering it up, say we should go ahead business as usual, literally and figuratively. Uh, we got to have tourists coming, so we can't do anything to scare people. Um, now, one big difference about why the United States will be worse than Italy, will be worse unless we do something, is Italy has a national health system. We have no national health system. The, all, the closest thing to a national health system is the Veterans Administration, which people may think who don't know it that it's a terrible place. Well, that radical organization called the RAND Corporation in Santa Monica, California, has done study after study for decades that says the only health system, because all the rest are private, the only health system that functions at a high level is the Veterans Administration. So we can certainly talk about that another day. But the fact of the matter is, because we have a CDC, has nothing to do with the fact we don't have a national health system. So what happened there is that they completely underestimated. They started social isolation and social distancing too late, just like we have. Okay, They basically didn't enforce social distancing and social isolation. So people probably saw the pictures on the beaches of South Carolina and Florida 48 hours ago of thousands of people right next to each other on the beaches. Um, so, you know, the governor said, we got to keep the beaches open for tourism. And the health department didn't do anything to enforce the social, <laughs> social distancing. So similar things happened, you know, in Italy. Um, and the other thing was, is that Italy, um, even though it had a national health system, its hospitals, just like our hospitals, um, we're not prepared with enough isolation rooms, which you have to put these patients in, although the federal government 10 days ago said, uh, unless you're doing certain procedures, just go ahead and put the COVID-19 patients in any room. That's also accelerating transmission right now. Um, just like they said, you don't have to wear an N95 mask around most of the patients in the hospital. Um, so basically, that's the situation. And they were unprepared in terms of the fact that the doctors and the nurses and the clerks and the lab techs, um, there, there weren't enough of them to handle any overload. Um, in the United States um, and in Italy, you know, uh, a lot of the hospitals are private. Um, and in the United States and Italy, capitalism is still functioning. And a private hospital 
is basically trying to stay at capacity as much as possible so they can make money. Now, all most of our private hospitals are called nonprofits. Um, that's basically an oxymoron. They're not nonprofits. It's just that they have that tax classification forever. Uh, they're all making money. You know, in downtown Chicago, Northwestern Memorial Hospital and University of Chicago in the South Side, they're not nonprofits, even though they have that tax classification. So, and then we're at the still at the height of the flu season right now in Chicago, in the northern part of all the United States. Um, we're still widespread flu, and a lot of the patients are there with the flu. Okay. Um, that's thirty to fifty thousand deaths per year, and so we don't have enough extra personnel, extra capacity, extra ventilators uh, to handle the situation. All right, Howard Ehrman, thank you very much. We're going to end it here. You started off by saying uh, that. Uh, you, uh, we should ha try to laugh a little bit. That'll help us get through this. Uh, this is very Absolutely. sobering assessment that you gave. Uh, I I have been trying to laugh in bewilderment <laughs> uh, at Donald Trump's briefings. Okay, I try to deal with it on a comical level because on one level it is pretty funny and in a bizarre satirical way to, to watch Donald Trump babble nonsense that's completely contradictory to everything anybody with a medical degree believes in. And to see the doctors who are standing behind them with those stony faces, Howard, you know what I mean? You, you, you gotta sit there and nod with the boss or he'll fire you. So there is that level of comedy in this, but it's like a very dark comedy, if you follow what I'm saying. Uh, well, I would, I would suggest to everybody, if you haven't seen him, go on tr the Trevor Noah shows before they ended last week. Um, go on Saturday Night Live. They have some great skits um, and, and details about Donald Trump. Uh, and you'll start laughing, so that's good. It's good to laugh at Donald Trump. Meanwhile, I got in the mail today. I don't know if you got your mail. I've been talking about it all day, Howard. Uh, a postcard. I'm showing this to you for on your Zoom here. And uh, slow the spread. President Trump's coronavirus guidelines for America. I'm not making this up. This postcard. You'll probably get yours today in the mail. Uh, and for all I know, it's infected with the coronavirus and i got it just by picking up the postcard anyway uh it tells you to uh, listen and follow the directions of your state and local authorities well donald trump if you're listening our state and local authorities are telling us you have not provided the equipment they need so there we go i'm listening to them and they're saying you haven't provided it so we'll we'll end with that howard is there any more information you want to leave with people uh any websites etc oh, go ahead well, well I, want, I want to know if he sent you some money with the postcard. No, that the, the <laughs> Trump check or <laughs> Trump change has not arrived. They're probably going to wait till we're a little closer to the election. I think the next time you come on the show, we may talk about the politics of it. I've been uh, ranting and railing all day about the absence of Joe Biden, who is supposed, presumably the Democrats nominee. My, my choice lost. Howard in the uh, Illinois primary, I voted well, for. Well, I, I would. So. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily all over, even though it looks that way. But to answer your question uh, again, this Sunday, March 29th at 7:30 p.m. Central Time, 8:30 Eastern Time, 6:30 Mountain Time, 5:30 Pacific Time, we are having a major Zoom meeting um, on the building of the COVID-19 National People's Response. Um, if you are interested in getting an invitation. Um, I don't know if you can show this on your website, um, but you can email peoplescovid19, that's P-E-O-P-L-E-S-C-O-V-I-D-19, the word response, R-E-S-P-O-N, 
S-E at gmail.com. All right, very good. Thank you very much, uh, Howard. Howard Ehrman, Dr. Howard Ehrman. I uh, also want to thank Dave Gloatz, who was on the show earlier today. Maya Dugmasova uh, weighed in from uh, whatever bunker she was hanging out in. Uh, what a show it's been. We try to mix a little uh, levity with a little rant, ranting and railing. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know who I'm more upset with at the moment, Donald John Trump or Joe Biden. I say it's still Donald John Trump. So again, thanks to uh, Howard Ehrman, Dave Glowatz, uh, Maya Dukmasova, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, who has done a fantastic job, not only controlling the panel, but also dealing with our guests and their many ways of calling in. Ben, have you heard of Zoom? Ben. And dealing with the host, too. Let's not, <laughs> Let's forget, not forget him. Yes, indeed. As Dr. Howard Ehrman can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow. Hey, live streamers, remember you can download this show if you missed any of it, all right? Chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. If you download this, hey, you can join us on the live stream. It's interesting. <laughs> That's a word I got for it. Interesting. <laughs> Go check us out, Chicago Sun Times. Uh, and Chicago Reader website and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. And when you join that YouTube channel, you can join the Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat. Hang out with Brianna, KMA Barry, Jim, he's new. Jim, what's up, dude? Welcome back. Jim, yeah. Pat Rod and the rest of them. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. That's correct.